What is going on, Investor Thrive Nation? This is the Painless Flipping Podcast, where our goal is to help make your journey in investing as painless as possible, because it's going to be painful. Anything is when you got to learn, but our goal is to help you throughout that. And I got Michael Pinter. Is that correct, Michael Pinter? That's correct. Got him with me today. My man went, we're going to talk about how he did his first deal. And he says it took him a little bit to do it, but it was a good deal. We're going to talk about how he got his first deal and where he's at right now and how that first deal helped him get started. He said he remembers it like it was yesterday. So we're going to introduce him. Uh, Glad to have him on the show. But everybody, if you're watching this, hey, give it a little like, give it a thumbs up, you know, help us share this. Because again, my goal is to help you guys get into real estate to grow and get get deals. I mean, what's the point of doing this if you guys aren't seeing success you want? So let's learn. Learn from Michael. We're all students of the game. Let's learn about how he got his first deal and what he's doing right now. Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and let's dive into that first deal you did. Sure. So um, I was in the mortgage business for this, working for the same company for 17 years from 1997 to 2013. And then I was dabbling a little bit in real estate investing while I was there. And then 2013, I left mortgage industry five years too late. And I decided to go full-time into real estate investing. And I had some experience in, in this city. City's called Elmont. I operate in Long Island, so Nassau and Suffolk County, New York City suburbs. And Elmont was my area. I had bought another property there. I liked the area. I thought it was a misunderstood area where I could take advantage of some of that misunderstanding. And there was a property that I kept driving by that I, was, I really- You're talking about your first deal right now? First deal, yes. Okay. Yeah, no, so just just so I can understand, you sure. were doing mortgages, is that what you said? Yeah, I was in the mortgage business. I I, I did everything in the mortgage company, uh, secondary marketing. I ran an office. I did a lot of things. You miss things it? Were, things no. were great for about uh, 11 years, and then everything hit the fan in 2008, 2009. I sort of stuck it out an extra few years, which was a huge mistake. I should have left earlier. Mm-hmm. I really should have gone into real estate investing earlier, but I got out of it completely in 2013. In the beginning of 2013, I went into full-time real estate investing. Nice. Okay. Okay. Because I wanted to clarify uh, when you said you got it too early. I didn't know what time at what time point you did that. Okay. Cool. So right. so let's dive in this first deal. You said hey, it was a. It took a while, and I think just from you telling me a little bit before we hopped on, it sounded seemed a little a little complicated. It wasn't yeah. just a wholesale deal where you just get it and then you you sign it. So, so tell a couple us. things. Really, for the first four years I was in business from 2013 to 2017, I didn't even know what wholesaling was. I I had heard of it. I thought wholesalers were like knuckle dragging Neanderthals. Who- <laughs> try to make like $500 on a deal. I thought rehabbers were the guys who made the money. So I didn't really understand the whole concept. I didn't do any marketing direct to seller for those four years. I bought everything at live. I went to a live auction in my county every single week. I bought at uh, online auctions and I bought from REO agents. So the real estate owned agents, bank owned property. And there was a lot of that then because a lot of the crap from 2008, 2009 in New York, everything takes a lot longer than every other place. And that was coming out of time. And in general, uh, we can get into this more if you want, but New York is dramatically different than all the other 49 states. Everything takes longer. There's attorneys involved in every in every uh, transaction. There's even more. Um, but I wasn't wholesaling, right? So this property I, I bought, I had a partner. We bought it. We borrowed money for it. And uh, we took it down. It was a house that I kept driving by. And it just was in the area that I really liked. It was an ugly looking house. When we got inside, so what happened was I I was always dreaming about buying this house, and then one day a for sale sign showed up, and it was a bank owned property. Oh wow! Um, so we we went inside the roof in one section; it was caved in completely, oh. and um and we bought it. I think we bought it for some you know high twos, mm-hmm. and it really did crazily. It didn't need that much work. It needed that that roof fixed and the flooring underneath the roof, but it didn't need that much. But it was a it was a single legally a single family that was taxed by the county as a two family. 
but it was set up as a three unit. So wow. happens to be in this area of Elmont, there's a lot of illegal units, a lot of ba- basements being rented illegally. And as they would say, ADUs, right? Accessory or additional dwelling units, but most of them are illegal and right. the township doesn't like it. But we bought this property. We fixed it up without spending a lot. And then, Real quick, when I ask a question, does that make it more valuable if it is three units, two units versus just one? So it's funny. For some people, yes, right? There are people who will look at that and say, this is a dream come true, right? I can live in one of the units and I can pretty much have my mortgage paid by the others. But for other people, they're scared. They're scared because somebody might complain to the town. They may have to kick somebody out or their attorney might say, oh, no, you have tremendous liability. The truth is, this is a game that's played all the time. but. It's, it depends on the buyer is really the answer. Okay, makes sense. So we bought the property and we tried to sell it. Shockingly, no one wanted to buy it because of the things that we just discussed, the extra unit. And it, we really didn't do a lot of work to it. It really wasn't in great shape. And we had a hard money loan on it. We got raped on our first hard money loan. I think we paid 16% with six points, some crazy number. We were so happy to get anybody to fund, fund the deal that we, we just took it and we used all of our own money for the rest of it. And we didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, couldn't sell right away. So we immediately rented it. We got it rented in three seconds mm-hmm. and uh, we were cash flow positive. So it was working out and we so, sort of, you rented one unit or did you do the rented three? all three, rented all oh. three to three separate people. Congrats. Okay. And then one of the tenants uh, that we rented said that she was interested in a rent to own kind of situation. Okay. So we did a rent to own where we gave her a number. I think that number was like 425,000. Did we you paid like 280 for it. And everything? Did you take, uh, a, did you get a certain amount of money down from her? We didn't. We just, we took, we raised her rent a little bit and then, and then we let, uh, we let the additional rent uh, go to pay, go towards our down payment. Okay. An extra two, we extra for an extra $200. And in the lease, it said $200 a month. If they execute this option to buy it, mm-hmm. um, was going to go towards her down payment. Got it. And then after about a year, and again, we were cash flow positive the whole time. So it was great. She executed and she, and, and we sold it. And, and uh, she refined, I'm assuming she got a, a loan. Uh, and She got a purchase loan on it. She, she took, she took money on it. We probably made more than 60 if I'm thinking about it. We probably made more. Yeah, it sounds like it. Might have made 80. Yeah. Um, but it was hard to figure because we were so cash poor that we were taking all that additional cash flow and immediately spending on, on all of our operations. Cause we, you know, we needed the money at that time. That's how so, it works, you know? Totally yeah. Different. So looking back at that deal, what would you, what would you have done differently? Hmm. Or what, do you feel like you executed on it just like you probably would now, uh, except for the hard money loan, you probably know somebody else that probably gave you a better deal, but you, you feel like you did what was right at that time. Right. And by the way, we refinanced that hard money loan. We got a fan, regular Fannie Mae loan. That, that um, probably helped a ton. Yes. Yeah. That helped a lot. But uh, what would we, what would I have done? I don't know if I would have done much differently. I probably would have taken a non-refundable, a bigger deposit when she moved in. I don't know if she had the money. Mm. So. When she did a rent to own, you mean? Is yeah. Okay. Like I don't, th- I don't think she had a lot of cash at the time. Her, was, her, the, was she a, sorry? Was she a current tenant at the time? And then she was like, "Hey, I, I no, want- no." Before she moved in, she mentioned she was interested in rent to own, and we looked at it as this may be the only person that's ever going to buy this, and uh, that's what we did. That's what we did. That makes sense. I uh, sorry, I thought she was already living there, and then approached you guys, said, "Hey, you thought about selling this?" No, but this was a new, and then you, you. Um, uh, you know, you had that option of default. Okay. Right. And if we weren't cash flow positive, we probably wouldn't have wouldn't have done it. But it, you know, with three rental incomes coming in, we probably would have better. The only thing I can think of is that maybe maybe we should have kept it because the, like every property values have gone up so much and the rents have gone up so much that it would have been a tremendous cash cow. Short of that, I think I think we did I think we did 
most things right on that. I don't think we really screwed that up too bad. Amazing. So let's talk. So we talked about your first deal and it seems like you maybe you might have had a little bit more experience or I would say a lot more experience than like the, the person that just dives in, doesn't know what they're doing. Sounds like you had experience on how to navigate those situations. So for someone that's listening that doesn't, what do you think? Like if they're in a situation like that, would you recommend like they, they buy it? It's not, they can't resell it. You would rec- would you recommend renting it out? I guess you'd have to see the situation, but. I think any any situation where you can't sell a property and you can be cash flow positive by renting it, um, and you can, if you have a hard money loan, you can refinance it, you know, the, basically the Burr method. Right. Um, then I think it's a good plan. In in my area, single family homes are almost never cash flow positive because my price points are much higher. I'm right? wow. buying stuff for three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars And the taxes here are very high. But if you're in most parts of the country, uh, if you, you become a, what, what's it called? An accidental landlord, right? If you can't sell the property for whatever reason, you can rent it and then figure things out. Hopefully it appreciates wow. or, or you figure out what to do with it later. Yeah, unfortunately, we, we were doing that because of the pandemic. When the interest rates rose, we weren't able to sell our flips. So we had to take them down, you know, Ugh, crazy. Let's talk about where, you, where you're up to right now, because I think a lot of people that are newer uh, that are watching the podcast or are watching this live, they say, OK, he did his first deal. How did he get to the point where he's at right now? And I think you're telling me you're doing about five deals a month, right? Right. Tell us about that right now. About seven years ago in 2017, we had grown the business pretty well to the point where I think I, I we was doing 17 rehabs at one time. And when I got to that point, I wanted to kill myself. I, yeah, I was ready, to, ready to blow my brains out. I mean, materials were going to the wrong place. Contractors were lying. Contractors were disappearing. Mm. And I was starting to lose money on deals. And that's not good. And it was only and it was almost always my fault. Yeah. And I had a conversation with a guy named Brad Chandler. You know, Brad? Love Brad Chandler. He's awesome. And Brad, he was trying to sell coaching then, but he basically told me, you got to, you got to move to wholesaling Mm. and you got to start marketing direct to sellers. And he really put me on the right path. And since then I've been marketing direct to sell. That's had a huge change in my focus and my business. The, The parts of the business that I hate, and I still do some of them are construction, dealing with contractors, dealing with building departments, very hard by me. There's a million different building departments. So my goal is really to get to zero construction. I'm never going to get there. But if, if I could wholesale every house, I would. Very often I can't, either because I'm at a too high of a price point and investors won't buy it for me or because there's a, it's occupied and I can't show it. Um, so I, I do close on probably half the deals that I go into contract on now. Mm-hmm. I find half and I close on the others. I usually try to wholesale them, but sometimes I, I do end up rehab, rehabbing them, doing a rehab now. So that's interesting. Do you feel like if you had a more robust buyers list or a better, different, I guess, new more other investors like you that would want to buy these, you could wholesale them all? Or what do you think stopping you from being on the wholesale? No, I think, I think my buyers list is pretty good. I think it's just that if I want to continue to buy at the level I am, very often I'm faced with a seller who needs a certain price. And at that price, I don't have room to wholesale it, but I can close on it and, and just wholesale it. So maybe just clean it out and sell it. That also allows me sometimes to pay more than my competitors because they're looking at it as this is a $100,000 rehab. And I'm looking at it as this is a $4,000 clean out. And I'm not looking to hit that top price in the market. I'm just looking to get find the bargain hunters who are going to pay a lot less in that area than others. Have you heard of the strategy of the retail buyer program or Novations where they, have you tried that instead of wholesaling yeah. and closing on it? So you don't so have I do- I do. I do. I've I've novated a few deals. I think it's a brilliant strategy. There are certain additional challenges in New York to it. 
because the seller is always represented by attorney and attorneys don't understand what novations are. Novations are only like eight years old. And my attorney didn't understand them. I had to sit down and teach everybody what they were. But there are huge advantages to doing them in New York also because closing costs here are so high. So oh, exactly. a typical wholesale deal, like the one I'm doing now, I bought it for like almost four and I'm putting it out for 500. Mm -hmm. So in most parts of the country, that's a massive home run deal. I'm probably going to have to pay 50 to $60,000 in closing costs on the buy, on the sale and my holding costs. It's just a crazy part. Yeah, the whole process of listing it, right? Because you got to bring the buyer and um, yeah, I got to pay a buyer's agent. I got I got to pay a lender. I might pay twenty thousand dollars in closing costs on the buy. It's insane, yeah. but I'll still make thirty five, forty grand. So I'm happy to do it. Right. But if I could novate that deal, in theory, in this case it didn't work, then I can save myself all of that, everything except the buyer's agent's commission, and I can buy properties with a smaller spread. Uh, yeah. Another issue with New York, and we didn't get into all the differences in New York. Oh, I can talk to you for an hour. Yeah, about that. Deals in New York, it takes forever. And th there's no there's no contingencies in here. When I go into a contract, every time I have to either close or I have to assign it. That's it. So I don't have any way to get out of the contract. So even on an ovation, I don't have any way to get out of the contract. So I, I have to pick a price point where if everything goes bad, if the buyer that I innovate to flakes out of me at the last second, I have to be able to buy it. Mm. And I figure that I, I'm going to, I've never had, it's never happened to me yet, but I figure I'm going to probably lose a little money here and there on, on those deals. But overall, it's allowing me to buy deals I never would have bought before. Get yeah, a lump sum, right? So so I think uh, I think novations are amazing. I really think they're, they're great. I think, uh, didn't, did Eric Brewer invent it? I think he did. No, I don't really know. I know he's talked about it the most, but I'm not, you know, I think, I, he, invent, I think he invented it. And I got, I got to tip my hat to him. It's, it's one of the most brilliant strategies I've ever seen. Yeah. If he invented it, that's, that, that's awesome. I do know that, you know, one of a lot of the people here in Utah have learned about it. Like I, I have some mentors that learned about it like years and years ago. So I think it's been around, but if he, if Maybe. he invented it, Congrats, brother! I think I think I think it's amazing. Dude, should we explain what it is to the people here that, that never heard yeah, of it? Let's little, let, yeah, if you could okay. explain a little bit, sure. uh, layman's terms, like what uh, it, took, it took me a very very long time to get my wrap my head around it, like months and months. Um, I actually uh, am friends with Eric Brewer's ex employee who also does it, Eric Lacha. It was also in New York, Pennsylvania area. So this is how it's. This is how I finally figured this out and got my head around it. So when we wholesale a deal, right, we go into contract with a seller, and then we have to get a cash buyer to assign the contract to because an ordinary buyer who's going to move in and get regular Fannie FHA financing cannot buy the property from us because the basic language of all Fannie and Freddie and, and FHA paperwork is that the seller has to be on title at the time of contract. Us being the assignee are never in, in, on title. Right. So what Novation does is you go into contract, you are basically telling the seller, I'm making it very succinct, but is yeah, that I'm going to go out into the market and try and find some, some way that I can make some money on this. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is a new buyer novates you, which means replaces you, and they go into contract with the seller. So instead of A to B and B to C, it's A to B and then A to C. You're taken out of the out of the transaction, but you have an agreement that says anything that uh, the seller makes above this certain level is going to come to me, to B. So now it's a straight contract from A to C, they can go, you can theoretically wholesale or novate to the entire world, to anybody, to an end user buyer who's always going to pay more than a right. cash buyer, right? Because they're not an investor. They're going to move in. So it allows you to make the most money. There are companies out there who really have become straight novation companies. They don't even assign. They'd rather novate because they believe, and I think it makes sense if in certain areas, it does, you can yeah. make more money if you're theoretically, if you're wholesaling to, to an end user buyer. Yeah, because cash buyers, uh, flippers need that spread. They need, you know, they need exactly. 20%, 15%, you know, return on their investment, and which really kills, I would say, majority of deals right now. Right, right. So the novation allows you to really get 
the full value of the property and make the difference from whatever you, whatever price you you're in there for. The if only you, expense you'll have is maybe a buyer's agent commission. Buyer's agent commission, right? Or if you put any money into the property, right? Right. Or if you have to fix up any repairs. I mean, that's yeah. how I sell it to people. Yeah. I'm like, listen, uh, any repairs, any fees, any cost, any commissions fall on me. So. Yeah. And, and, and I get them to agree on a specific price, of course, right? right I get them. It works best for somebody that just has a number in their head, right? I yeah. want three hundred thousand dollars. That's their number. And you say, you know, I can I can sell this thing for three forty. So then you can say, okay, but you got to let me go out and try and find someone with some way to make money. And how do you pitch that to them? You say, let me go out and find some way to make money, or do you say, let me find someone I can work partner with or work with that can get you that? So what I say is, and this isn't like a hundred percent. I would say truthful, but I say, I'm going to try and find somebody that wants me to do custom work to it after we close. I'm going to say, I'm trying to avoid paying the closing costs because it's very expensive in New York and they know that in New York. And I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, I'm going to list this. I'm going to try and find a buyer that wants me to do the work after I close. Okay. And you can always fall back on me. So, you know, you have me at this price. So if the buyer flakes out, I'm still going to buy it. If the buyer has any repairs they need, I'm going to pay for it. If there are any costs, fees, commissions, I'm going to pay for it. And for somebody that just has a magic number in their head, if that number if there's a decent spread between that and what you can go out into the market on, then it works great. They're like, I don't care. I've heard from a, you know, I, I probably does it done it six times. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've said, you know, I don't care as long as you give me my number. I don't care what happens. And as long as I don't have to pay any fees, I'm fine. And, and, and it, let's say you try to innovate it. Nobody's interested. You, you still close on it at that price that you, you, you say. Yeah, so, that number. So I have to pick a price where I'm going to not take a beating or, you know, if I have to close on it. Got it. Last uh, question I have about that is you get paid on these, I'm assuming in New York through filing the affidavit of memorandum or the notice of interest and then releasing that, or how do you get paid on the? So there are a lot of negative uh, challenges in New York, but one of the greatest things about New York is that you don't need to file any of that stuff. There's no way to get out of contract in New York. It's a bitch to get into contract, but a seller is never getting out of contract. There's no, I'm changing my mind. If a seller calls me and it's happened a few times and say, you know what? I don't want to sell it to you or I want more money. I just say, call your attorney. Cause here's the truth. Number one, I can file list pendants on the property, which means I'll never sell it to anybody else. It's a lot stronger than an affidavit or a memorandum of contract. Same as if I was foreclosing on him. And number two, I can sue him for specific performance, which means I can sue him for the entire purchase price if he won't sell to me. So there is no getting out of contract that you are locked in a cage. Wow. That's so wild. That is that is an advantage here, but it is a, it's a pain to get in, but no one's getting out. Okay. So so that means then you don't need to file any of that. And but I'm just saying, how do you get that difference? Do you is it through on, the- an ova- on an ovation? Yeah. So. The way it works is they sign a rider to the contract that says that they, they're going to allow me to market the property, that they allow me to innovate the property, whatever I want to do with it. As soon as I find a new buyer, then we sign an ovation agreement. And an ovation agreement says, hey, my company, Real Property Buyers, is out of the contract. John Smith is in the contract. But any any fees, cost commissions that come into play fall on Real Property Buyers, my company. But any additional proceeds above the agreed upon price also goes to Real Property Buyers. And then they're bound they're bound by that. Got it. it. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because I've I've heard you know there's different ways to do it, right? But some people they release the the cloud for the the fee and again there's no cloud. If I wanted to even re- go to a, any of the counties here and record like an affidavit of contract, they'd, they'd laugh and throw it back in my face. Like it's just not done. It's well, never, it never gets recorded. That's, a, the, that's but it doesn't need to be because the contract the contract is ironclad. There's no is way. That, out. Is that the state the rep C uh, state 
contract because I remember I did a, a, a contract in New York and it was my contract I used nationwide and they the they where where in New York was it? Uh, it was actually Jersey City. I think it was a uh, that's New Jersey. Yeah, it was Jersey. It was right on. It was right on the <laughs> on the border, but that's Jersey. Yeah, so Jersey works like the other forty nine states. So you can okay, work with them because I had this smoking deal and it was kind of like the sellers like oh yeah let me get out and now I'm like dang maybe I. Could have kept it, but no, agreed. I understand. Facebook user saying 60K. What market? What it market? Na- it was Elmont, New York, in Nassau County. Love it. Love it. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. So tell us, because we kind of want to wrap it up, but we, I've, I've enjoyed ta- chatting with you. Tell us what you're doing right now and to do five deals a month. There. Where, where are these deals coming from? Because a lot of people, they're probably like, how's my, how's he doing five? I can't I'm even do still, five. I'm still a huge fan of direct mail. This is like my return mail from today. What is uh, that, by the way? Like 32, 40 cents a, mail, a postcard? What, it's what almost 50 cents now, postcard. The postage just went up. Man. So I send a lot. I probably spend, I spend five figures a month on direct mail. That's my number one source. I also do pay per leads now. I use need to sell my house fast and I speed to lead, mm-hmm. which I I sort of shifted from pay per click to pay per lead, which I like. I like that too. If, if you do that model. Yeah, I think it's good. You have to just understand how it works. Some people get disappointed with it too quickly. And I think, and I think leave too quickly. Yeah. Um, and I do a little bit of uh, RVMs, ringless voicemail, and I do do some cold calling. I have a, a service that cold calls for me, but really direct mail is really the base of my business. It's really the most deals that I get. So interesting how direct mail, I feel like it ebbs and flows. Like sometimes it hits, sometimes it does. Is, is that what you see? Absolutely. It goes up and down. But I, I, you know, when I speak to newer people in the business and they say direct mail, they look at me like I, I have three heads because they don't read their mail. They don't believe in mail. They don't check their mail. You know, the millennials think mail is, is, is like, it's like I told them I was, I was sending a contract to a seller via Pony Express. But the truth is, most of the people we buy from are older, right? I would say my 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 age skews probably over sixty for sure, maybe over seventy. So mm-hmm. older people do read mail. So so to me, uh, I read my mail. I'm I'm thirty two, so I don't you know. Right. Well, you're in the minority. Um, yeah. But but mail, mail works, and it's but it is it is really expensive. It's and but 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 does set you apart today because most newer investors cannot afford mail. Maybe they'll mail once, which is stupid. Um, yeah. And I, I'm going to mail every list I have like five to seven times. So and I, that, I think that's the key is the consistency of the mail. Sure. Like a lot of people think when I first started, they're like mail. So I just spent 10k on one blast, and I'm like, why didn't I get a deal? Well, you shouldn't have sent spent all your money on one blast. Hundred percent. And you said to all your lists. So are you a proponent for? specific lists or are you like hey you just got to hit them all so i operate i don't shop in new york anymore i operate also in el paso texas so in el paso i i can get niche lists from the county clerks in new york they don't really give a lot of public data so i i pay for the audentic list which is expensive but it's it's a predictive data list and it works it doesn't work great but it works and i don't have a lot of options so i'm happy to use the audentic list and uh they they give me targets every every quarter and i'm sure the el paso is a lot less Less strict than New York. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a, it's a great market. It's a, it, uh, Texas is amazing. Yeah, I, I love you know the different because I've done deals all over the country and it's just awesome. Like some there's some areas that's just like this was so easy. Everyone's on board. The title company knows what's going on. We just got it done. But yeah, it's not always like that. Correct. Cool. Well, Michael, where can people reach out to you? I know you said you're doing some JV deals. You got sure. coaching going on. Well, how can they reach out to you if they like your vibe, they want to learn more? Sure. So I have a, a YouTube channel and a website called biggerflips.com. I have a YouTube channel. I think every po- every single I, – I've got you know over 1,000 videos I've been posting pretty much every day for years. Right. And uh, my phone number to my office is on there if you want. 
Um, I'm on uh, Facebook at Real Property Buyers or Michael Pinter. I'm on Instagram at Bigger Flips also. So I'm 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 all over social media. I'm I'm everywhere. (laughs) Omnipresent right here. Yes. Cool. Well, everybody you heard it here first, you can reach out to him. He's got a YouTube channel. That's probably, uh, I bet you'd like some more subscribers. So go check that out, reach out to him. And Michael, it's been a pleasure. I think, uh, you know, obviously we're going to stay connected. I always like learning and I learned a lot today about what's working for you. And obviously if I have a deal in that area and I need a buyer, I'm going to hit you up. Thank you very much, Nathan. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you guys later. We'll see you on the next one.